0: Media Plush from the Mac Observer. It's our weekly look at the world of digital media and Apple's place within it. We've nearly been doing it for a year. And as we approach this, that kind of milestone, that landmark, I'm very excited with the guest. I have next to you someone that kind of introduced me to the world of podcasting, if you like, and how podcasting could be an independent thing all by itself. Hello, Ollie Mann, formerly of the Answer Me This podcast. How are you? Uh-
1: Hello, Charlotte. Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Yes, I'm a bit, I mean, I'm just, you know, it's it's as we record 10am, so I'm just slightly, I'm still gearing up slightly. I've been up since six with a kid, but I've um, oh got goodness. a very strong coffee next to me.
0: Really, I was going to say, you've got, we've got two Brits on the show this week, and therefore there's a lot of tea going around, but you're kind of, you've broken my stereotypes,
1: and thank you for that.
0: It's, um, <laughs> you're welcome. There's Mike, a... There's Mike, a my I'm only self-promoting, but
1: there's a YouTube video all about how I don't like tea, which, uh, which I made about 10 years ago. You have actually mentioned this on yeah. the show as well, yeah.
0: much to your former co-host <laughs> Helen's horror. I remember this. Now, let's talk about Answer Me This, because it was one of my favourite podcasts for a number of years. I should say one of the favorite, my favourite podcasts that the Mac Observer didn't make, of course. Of course. Uh, of course. Now, Answer Me This was, uh, you can correct me if I mischaracterize it. Please. You basically got lots of people to send you in lots of random questions and you and your lovely co-host Helen try to find the best possible answer to them and it was yeah. hilarious it was there were questions that veered from the innocent to the quite touching and quite personal and there were some quite difficult questions you got asked yeah. and there was a lot of the questions of well I've always wondered about this random thing just someone else yeah, so I think the, the answer the-
1: the secret was the variety, I think. Yes. So, yes, there was, we're not pretending there was anything novel about a Q&A format and asking an audience to send you questions. And it's was one of the oldest radio formats in the world. <laughs> well, that's um, an interesting
0: point, actually. We'll pick up on that in a minute, because you're right. Yeah. But.
1: Yes, but the, the secret, I think, was twofold. Uh, first, the relationship that I had with Helen Zaltzman, my co-host on the show, uh, and Martin Austwick, who's her husband, who who was uh, Sam, our co-producer. Samman
0: Martin.
1: Martin Samman. um And the second thing was the variety that you allude to, yeah. So we weren't a show that just did agony aunt stuff. You know, I've got a problem in my sex life or my relationship. We weren't a show that just did, why is a thing called a thing? You know, pub quiz trivia. We weren't a show that just did feedback from the listeners about funny stuff. We did all of that. And the idea was to juxtapose. And it was always really uh, carefully sort of agonized over in the edit, really. Juxtapose those different moods so that in the course of the show, hopefully our listeners you know, felt the companionship of us, but also got to learn something, got to laugh, got to think about something all in one show.
0: Yeah, I think companionship is the word I picked out from your answer. And I think that's really right. Both the companionship between the two, three of you, obviously there's companionship that Helen and Martin are now married and got married during the coast of the show being made, I believe. Um, And there's also companionship between listeners. And this really came... Through you finished answer me this. I hope I'm not going to aid you too much, but you did 400 episodes over what was it, seven years or something? Uh, 15. 15. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah, we started in
1: 2007.
0: Oh my goodness. Uh, It was the first kind of, I was listening to 200. That was your first kind of seven years. Uh I listened listened back to retro at 200. And so you did it for 15 years, which is a hell of a long time Mm. to do a show. There's not many shows in many formats the last 15 years and still have the love. And that love really came through in, re- in 400 when you had listeners send in kind of comments. Um, lots of people left audio for you to broadcast on the show and just yeah. left really lovely moving comments. Some about how you'd help them through really difficult times. Somehow yeah. you'd answered a question and it had really meant a lot to them.
1: It was really difficult because, on the one hand, yeah. it was just a, a juvenile and silly comedy show, and that's all it ever intended to be. Right.
0: Um,
1: but on the and then other, it got hand, out of hand. Well, it was just like we, so we had to be really careful because we we didn't want to be so self indulgent as in that last episode to include like the majority of the airtime people being say people telling us how wonderful we were and how it helps them, you know, because we really were just there to sort of talk to each other and have a laugh, and then it grew, but. It would be misrepresentative if we hadn't included that stuff because, I mean, honestly, it was humbling. Um, mm. And one day I will log back into our email account, which was flooded with these messages, and, and, and actually give each of those messages its due prominence because when 500 people email you and say – you got me through when my father had cancer and my mother had dementia and, my, you know, I came out as gay and I had depression. Like after a while you start, they stop, you can't really focus yep. on the details anymore. stopped being people. There were so many emails like that, that it was genuinely humbling. And it was such a specific, oddly specific thing that really speaks to podcasting communities in general. And I think the way podcasting works that lots of people told us in a way that we genuinely weren't offended by that. They used the show to get to sleep.
0: Yes. Um, that, and- that came across quite a lot. That was very funny.
1: Uh, and, and it's and to soothe anxiety, which is something that, uh, you know, I've only really personally, luckily, fortunately in my life sort of flirted on the outskirts of. I've never really had an episode where I felt so highly strung that I really needed to remove some anxiety by listening to something completely different and jolly and uplifting. But that is what people were obviously using us for as a crutch for years, lots of people. And it was um, an amazing thing. Like you never, as a podcast, you don't get that kind of, you know, consumer market research it just comes in at the end when you say you're ending the show and then everyone gets in touch and is like, oh, I've listened to you for 15 years as I go to sleep. Yeah. So it's an amazing connection we have with people.
0: It really was. And that really came through. And how did you, was that something over 400 episodes in 15 years you kind of built, consciously built up? Did you, and were you aware of it happening as the show went on?
1: We were aware of it happening. We didn't consciously build it up. We were aware of it happening because because people wrote in. It was an interactive show. So although, right. as I say, we never did any market research, we were getting emails every week uh, with people's questions. By in, definition of, of the which, format. Exactly. Some of which said similar things to that. Oh, hey, great to speak to you. I've been listening to you since so-and-so, and I got into you because of this difficult thing that happened in my life. So we knew that there, there was an element of that. But... Um, No, I don't think you can go out and seek that. And I think if you did, you'd end up with a very different show. You'd end up with a show that's probably about mental health, which is the whole point of our show, (laughs) was that it was alleviating people's mental health by being about something completely different.
0: Yeah. And it was, yeah. And it was about things that were sort of beyond everyday life often, you Mm. know, silly, as you said, the kind of pub quiz trivia stuff, the, as well as the kind of you did a little bit of the agony art stuff you didn't try and indulge that side of too much
1: well, it didn't well it's mixed, like i said. yeah it, always it didn't feel mix.
0: it never felt as a listener like you were just tuning into someone's audio agony art column it never felt no. like that to me and uh, no. that was clearly deliberate um so let's go back to the beginning if you don't mind how the hell did this all start to beca- and then Suddenly, can't go on that journey to become one of the biggest podcasts, certainly in this country. And if you look at kind of the Apple podcast rankings and stuff, it was always up there.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, certainly you told me in Independent. Got, yeah. You, well, you told me we've only got half an hour, Charlotte. So, uh, you know, the, Very the long strict. version to that question, yeah, is um, <laughs> it would be about five hours, telling right. But, uh, oh, crikey. Let me do the shortest version I can that is honest.
0: Does it involve a pub, Ollie,
1: man? Sort of. It involves a right. beer garden. Good.
0: Perfect, Um, that's what I want from a a podcast British podcast starting story
1: Although not with Helen because she's not really a drinker I mean back then she did a bit but now she doesn't drink at all Um, So what it was is actually uh, a guy called Ewan Spence who's been podcasting even longer than I have who's a kind of I I don't think he'd mind me saying this a kind of nerdy Harry Knowlesy type figure um, who made a show about the Edinburgh Fringe Festival Um, I think he possibly still does but certainly did the whole way through the early noughties And I was, I told you this is a long story. We we won't even get to the podcast for a while yet. (laughs) I was uh, producing a show about blogs in 2006. Wait, that's the
0: most meta sentence I've ever heard in my life. You (laughs) were producing a podcast about blogs?
1: No, uh, a theatrical play about Oh,
0: an actual play. Oh my goodness. 2006.
1: Um, Perfect.
0: Dare I ask what happened to this show?
1: Yeah, it was very successful, actually. Perfect. I poured all of my energy into getting bums on seats and didn't realise that for it to have a life after that, I should have instead been pouring my energy into getting cigar-chomping producers and promoters to come and watch it. I just didn't know what I was doing. But uh, the show sold out, so I was very Perfect. happy with that. Anyway, uh, you know, I was 25. I'd written a play about blogs. I took it to Edinburgh Festival. It did well. The only uh, press that was interested in talking to me, because it was about blogs and I wasn't famous, were podcasts. Podcasters. Yeah. So that's how it happened. I met this guy, Ewan Spence, who was doing a podcast about the Edinburgh Fringe. And he interviewed me about my show and we did it in the beer garden of the Underbelly in Edinburgh. And I saw his setup and I just thought, wow, it is so, even then, I mean, now obviously everyone's got a recording studio in their pocket. But but even then, it was a mini disc player um, and a microphone.
0: I remember mini discs.
1: (laughs) And uh, I thought, wow, is that all this is? Like you do that and then it's a show, is it? He goes, yeah. And I was like, then you put it on the internet and it's there on iTunes. Is it next to Ricky Gervais and Adam and Joe? Yeah. I was like, okay, that's interesting. Um, because I realized that although he was doing, um, it's almost like a public service, uh, bit of journalism really for Scottish radio, it mm-hmm. wasn't of interest to the general world. Like it wasn't an entertainment show. I thought there's obviously an opportunity there for independence to sit alongside these big media brands if you're making a good quality show that appeals to the same audience. And it doesn't seem that difficult. I'm not that techie, but I can see it's not that difficult. So this was ruminating in my head for a few months. I got into podcasts that summer, started listening to the likes of Ricky Gervais and Adam and Joe. um, And The Guardian had just started doing podcasts then too. And uh, I thought, well, if there's anyone that I'd like to do a podcast with, it's my friend Helen from university. I'd been a guest on her student radio show and we'd always have good bands. And so I just asked her, would she like to? And I think relieved that it wasn't a romantic proposition. She was uh, very very grateful to give it a go. And uh, we, we, I mean, you know, the rest you can almost hear on mic. I mean, if you download Answer Me This episode one, which I'm very pleased to say is behind a paywall, partly because we get money for you so doing, but also because the general public don't have to hear it. uh, You will hear the growth of the show and it gets better and better. Mm. You know, it wasn't until... I would say, at least episode 50 that we really knew what we were doing. So That was a year in. Oh, So um, I've
0: got a few more episodes to go till I actually know what I'm doing. Perfect.
1: Well, you're a year in, aren't you? So this is probably oh, about I was, now. This, yeah. I think
0: this is 46 we're recording. So we're getting
1: there. But in all seriousness, wouldn't you say, like, if you listen back now to a show when at the time you thought you were good, let's say, I don't know, episode 12. If you listen to that now, you'd say like, oh, actually, I didn't know what I was doing. Oh, I
0: would never put myself through listening back to just right, too, ho- too horrendous. Right. I can't so- even imagine. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs>
1: if this is not better
0: than episode 12 i'll be very upset
1: but the joy was the concept that we had that anyone listening could write in with a question simple as it is um immediately took off and by took off and i'm talking about the context where to begin with obviously we only had a few hundred listeners but we never ever ever made up an email every single piece of correspondence that we read out on the show had come from a real listener most of whom we didn't know. I mean, in the early days, obviously, the first thing you do is MySpace. Then, yeah. first thing you do is put it on MySpace and say, "Hey, everyone, I'm doing a show." Wow. So friends of friends we've would get into. We've done
0: MySpace and mini today on the show. That's we've gone old school. <laughs>
1: um, but we never had to actually make it up, even if it was people no. that we knew to begin with. So it was we were sort of aware that people liked the idea, um, and then yeah, by about episode fifty, I mean we were getting hundreds of emails a week. So
0: fantastic. And what was the initial setup? You know, kind of 15, 14 years ago, as you were going, getting on with it.
1: The tech setup? Yeah.
0: Which is like, how did you actually go back? Did you literally do the same as Ewan you that you'd seen and grab a mini disc recorder and get on with it, sit in the same no. room?
1: So, the reason that Helen's then fiance ended up being part of the show was <laughs> that um, he was quite geeky. He's He was at the yes, time doing he, a PhD in physics.
0: And very proud of it. It doesn't hide it on the show.
1: Yeah. And so he had it. And then he's also a, a hobbyist musician, now a professional yes. musician writes shows, uh, writes music for podcasts. Um, so had a lot of stuff, like had a decent Mac and had garage band, uh, and had guitars and had microphones. So he set up the original home studio that we used in Helen's flat, which was better than we would have been able to do without him. And he even by the end of the year had bought himself a little mixing desk. Nice. I mean, it was all like absolutely like home pro stuff. Like, probably didn't spend more than about a grand on it, but it was stuff that, you know, put us above people who were talking into mini disc players, I suppose. Right. Um, But that was so. And
0: with someone who understood kind of how to balance sound and mix sound and make it come out sounding decent.
1: Make it sound decent. It always sounded better than than the content was to begin with. Right. Um, (laughs) uh, And then uh, the editing process, I mean, you say we've done mini discs and we've done MySpace. The editing process pre Dropbox. was uh, Helen would do the first edit and then send it to me in the Royal Mail on a CD. Wow. Um, Then I would listen to that CD, write pen and paper notes, transcribe them into Microsoft Word and email them to her. Um, You know, that's how we used to have to. And then we realised there was a secret part of MySpace where we could upload files that we only we could listen to with a password and we'd start sharing files that way. And then GoDaddy was hosting the podcast um, as well as the sort of, first version of our website so that was it was pretty primitive then yeah
0: um and you mentioned martin the sound man being able to do music and you now i know now know i'm obligated to ask you about the jingles if you Mm. haven't listened to answer me this and you really should um one of the great many great elements of the show is helen and ollie's singing and they often do they contribute kind of they're unique to almost every show, aren't they, the jingles? You kind of make them up, for every, new ones for every show, basically, don't you? Um, the
1: opening theme tune was different for each show, yes. The couplets.
0: Yes, at the beginning. Uh, that
1: kick-started the show. But actually, no, uh, I mean, to be honest, for the last 10 years of the show, we recycled, We had such a big bank of jingles that we recycled yes. them. It's just some of them were only played once but every five years.
0: They were all original. They all featured you guys.
1: Yeah.
0: And they're all pretty funny. And how did that become a thing? Was that just because of Martin and you had musicians and you couldn't work out how to do other jingles insert other jingles
1: no i think it was that i mean that's slightly more helen maybe than me in the sense that she's a very collegiate person and a collaborative person although i have an element of like assembling a strong team around me as well but helen's very good at roping people in that she knows socially who are very talented and, you know, she, even though neither of us had had media careers front of Mike by that point, uh, we'd both worked in production in telly and radio and stuff and knew people who were good at things, um, writing, performing, uh, playing instruments, uh, some from university, you know, some from the comedy circuit. Helen's brother Andy is a stand up comic and she knew some of his mates. So we roped in some friends in return for a chicken dinner. She'd always make a roast chicken. So the, the format was, uh, for the first year of the show, I'd go over at the weekend to her house. Uh, she would roast a chicken. Five or six talented people would come along, and together we'd all write some comedy jingles and idents. And then Martin would record those, whilst Helen and I went downstairs and prepped the show itself. And then we'd record the show. Nice.
0: I had so to say was, that- it was kind of it
1: was, imagine Andy Warhol's factory, <laughs> but in Crystal yeah, Palace. And with, that's uh-
0: that's the level you operate at. You that's yeah. the level of creativity and spontaneous <laughs> genius that was going into answering this.
1: Well, again, like I say, the, the jingles and the idents were better quality than the banter for, for a long time, yes.
0: Um, I actually am a very big fan of Helen's brother as well, who I've seen at Edinburgh, and it's very, very funny, mm. indeed. He is very funny. Um, but, yeah, it's, what I find fascinating about the show is, I mean, none of the things you did on the show, the listeners could not have done for themselves. It was mm. always made in the age of Google. mm if you really wanted to know the answer to, I mean, I can't remember some of the random <laughs> questions you've dug into that are, some of my favourites. One favorites. of the really
1: embarrassing things is I can never remember questions from answering right. And we did but, we did thousands of them. And they literally, they're going one in here out the other. It's right. such light stuff that you forget. But uh, you make, make, them up now. make them up now, Charlotte. Yeah, Why exactly. is a sausage called a sausage? Let's, right. let's imagine that was a question. The, yeah.
0: And you could Google that.
1: You could? So although, some, I mean, you know, the personal things you couldn't. So, I mean, the, the one that I often return to is like, There was a story about a guy who asked if he could wash this lady's car. He was the neighbor in the cul de sac. Could I wash your car for 10 pounds or whatever? And she said, actually, no. You know, we get our car washed down the road. And then she came back home the next day to find him washing her car. Uh, (laughs) And I was like, what do I do? It was a classic one that we always return to uh, when we were thinking about what makes a great question for the show. Yeah. Uh, You know, that that, that you can't Google, can you? That requires intervention.
0: But, of many times. Uh, yeah, seriously. But um, you made a point at the beginning that it was the variety and there was a lot of the kind of, oh, if you wanted to know the answer to something silly, you could Google it. Mm. Um, how is It's just fascinating that it kept working, even though people really could have answered most of the questions themselves.
1: Yes, but Charlotte, technology isn't the answer to everything, is it? I mean, we've well, discovered this during the pandemic, haven't we? You know, well, yes, I think you, that you, might you can remote right. record everything. You know, you can do everything from home. You can ask AI to do all sorts of things. You can ask a smart speaker. But at the end of the day, one day we're all going to die, and human connection is what we're built to do. <laughs> so it's sort of like, I mean, the, the 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 thing people got was the joy of listening to other people discussing with them a thing. So it's it's it, it, yes. you, you, of course you may, I'm being facetious. You make a no. point. Yes, you could Google it, but that wasn't what we were doing. You know, you're identifying the the point. We yes. The point wasn't to get the answer, the point was to hear what we would say
0: and I think that's really what it comes down to because I was the question was really was to underline the kind of dynamic again between your community of listeners mm. and you because there was something fun in having Helen and Ollie answer me this
1: yeah and I mean which was really lovely you know an evident thrill that people got from being selected to be on the show I mean I think people realized we had a a large mailbag to use the uh, tv term from the 1990s uh and so you know if we devoted five minutes to their question that must have been quite exciting if you were a fan of the show and that was nice as well
0: and and over the course of the 15 years you were making answering this how did you see the world and perception of podcasting changed because I know Ricky Gervais here in the UK and there were some equivalents in America did quite a lot to make people think podcasting was a real thing. It wasn't just for people who couldn't get on the radio and just wanted to talk into a microphone.
1: Mm.
0: It was a real format in and of itself and a real, like it mattered a lot as a thing in and of itself, as an independent form of media in and of itself. Um, But you must have, when you initially back in, you know, 2008 or whatever started telling people what you were doing people must be like what
1: yeah helen's got a good way of putting this what she says is that in roughly 2008 if you told people if you sat next to someone's uncle at a wedding and said you did a podcast the first thing they'd say to you is what's a podcast by about 2014 they would say oh I like podcasts. Uh, Can you recommend some good ones? Right. And by 2018, they were saying, I've just started my own podcast. Can you please subscribe to it? (laughs) (laughs) That was essentially the trajectory that we lived through. And actually, a lot of the things, we were early. So like a lot of the things that some of the big independent British hits that came along afterwards did, we did do five or six years earlier, if I do blow my own trumpet and say so myself. Please, didn't that's get, what
0: this show's for.
1: They just didn't get noticed at the time by the mainstream media, I mean, because uh, we were still perceived correctly to be more of a niche. So, I mean, for example, you know, if you look at something like my dad wrote a porno, you know, they've done a live tour. We yeah. did our first live show at the iTunes Festival in 2008. Uh, They've done a book. We did our first book in 2010 with Faber and Faber. Um, They've done YouTube stuff. We did our YouTube series with Visit Britain in 2011. So we did all that stuff, all the obvious ways to kind of uh, really exploit our podcasting success, but a bit soon. And actually it was quite dryly amusing. I mean, it made me cry a bit as well, (laughs) that almost exactly at the point that we stopped doing the show uh, in August, 2021, uh, Apple launched its subscribe feature.
0: Yes. Which,
1: had that existed 10 years prior, we would have been making 100 grand a year out of the show because we had we were one of the handful of shows that had that loyal audience that would have yes. happily spent £5 a month to have bonus features from us. Yes. Um, but, you know, we just slightly were a bit early on everything.
0: <laughs> <laughs> or oh, par- call yourself a pioneer.
1: Yes, well, I do. Um, <laughs> it's all I've got.
0: <laughs> so now what comes next you've done this huge hit you as you say in august um decided to end the show for all sorts of different reasons but you and helen haven't gone away you certainly haven't gone away you're working on a whole new bunch of stuff tell us a bit about that
1: yeah so i've got a magazine show called the modern man ma it's a pun of my name uh which started in 2015 what you did there. And that was actually, I mean, that's not a comedy show, but it has entertainment elements to it because it's a magazine. So there's bits of it that are fun, but there's bits of it that that are serious sit down journalism Mm. where I interview real people. I hate that phrase, but, you know, not celebrities people (laughs) who've had difficult experiences in their lives. And that's a show that I'm really proud of and uh, still... Really enjoy spending time making. So there's that. Uh, and then I present a show for The Week Magazine, uh, which is a weekly current affairs kind of roundtable jobby called The Week Unwrapped. But the thing that I've been putting all my attention into, frankly, since we ended Answer Me This, because it's the show that I fervently hope the Answer Me This listeners will slowly transfer allegiance to, uh, is a show called The Retrospectors, which is a daily history podcast. Uh, so it's 10 minutes a day about what happened on this day in history. And Again, I suppose a bit like answer me this, I'm not pretending that's a novel format, you know, like on this day in history is a radio format as old as the hills. Mm-hmm. But again, I just saw a niche where I was like, no one's doing on this day in history in a genuinely like slick, high quality entertainment podcast. because yeah, There you're, are people who would not professional.
0: No, I was gonna say. I don't think you'll mind me saying that you're not a professional historian. There are some great history podcasts out there, (laughs) but but that's not your game. This is about entertaining and presenting information in an interesting way.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and being open about what I've learned along the way. Right. Uh, you know, again, as with Answer Me This, sadly, all the examples immediately slipped my mind. <laughs> but, you know, we've, we've covered a huge range of things from the first night of Grease the Musical through to the execution yeah. of Mary Queen of Scots, you know. Um, but there's a whole load of subjects that I knew absolutely nothing about or thought I knew about. You know, I thought I knew what a Zeppelin was, but then I looked into it and realised actually I didn't understand the history of that kind of type of balloon flight at all. And so it's sort of, I'm quite open with the audience that I'm learning along with them. What we're presenting to you in 10 minutes is the sort of pub trivia version of what you need to know about this subject. And um, it's myself and two co-hosts, Aaron McNichol and Rebecca Messina. And it's really, really fun to make. Um, So, uh, you know, I'm hoping that in time the audience will come over. We're doing well, but as you can imagine with a, a daily show, the economics are reliant on a certain audience number to sell advertising. That's the only way to market it because it's only 10 minutes long. We can't really bake in a sponsorship to that. Mm. So um, yeah, it's uh, exciting to have a new challenge.
0: Yeah, no, (laughs) uh, it's a really fun show. And thank you. I, it is. It, what I find interesting having listened. I mean, I listened to this for a number of years when I first sort of get got into podcasts, it was one that kind of shut up in my kind of recommended feed or whatever um how are you happy if that's not too grand a phrase with how the way that the podcast industry has moved because it's gone from being where people like you and helen in her flat with a roast chicken could make one of the most popular shows certainly in this country and probably if you picked most countries charts it would feature english-speaking charts Mm -hmm. um and if you look at the charts now big media companies you know you the new york times etc except et the guardian you mentioned earlier those yeah. kind of places are starting to dominate and it's i don't i mean i don't want to be one of those people that go oh but podcast is lost it says it's not independent and fun anymore
1: but yeah.
0: um that element has changed a bit hasn't it with like you know the guardian do a daily news show lots of other newspapers do all sorts of things like that Does do you think that's a shame is podcasting lost something or is there still that kind of independent magic you can find
1: no I think it's I think that that independent magic is still very much out there just as it is in any culty part of the media (laughs) that then goes mainstream really I mean you could say you you could have said exactly what you just said about punk rock couldn't you or singer songwriters or Uh, or,
0: I was thinking about music as I said I sort of was thinking I was one of those indie bores that like find a band at the random bar and then they become big and I don't like them anymore
1: yeah, exactly that. And I I, I mean, my personal tastes are sort of mainstream alternative anyway. In, in the, you know, like if I look at the artists that I really admire in podcasting or anything else, it's often people who have their own distinct vision and their own distinct voice. But are as popular as they could be, if you know what I mean. It's not mm. like people don't know who they are. Like they're not hugely popular because my tastes are just slightly, you know, outside of the mainstream yeah and i kind of feel like that about podcasts like my vision is always to get as many people as possible who would like a show to listen to a show so i don't begrudge anyone who succeeds in getting you know two million people to listen to their show i think that's fantastic if you're doing that by using a celebrity or a big media brand to help you along then what you've done is you've employed a shortcut to reach an audience but if the audience didn't like it they wouldn't listen i mean i was listening just yesterday to um uh bryden and which is the rob bryden spotify exclusive show right and in many ways i resent that show like i resent the fact Bob that spotify bryden
0: the actor he was in gavin and Stacey, and has been toured all parts of the world with actor steve coogan and all sorts of things pretty yes. famous guy
1: pretty famous guy uh, snapped up by spotify for lots of money i imagine uh very and, funny guy and doing basically an unscripted show where he chats And so in many ways, I resent that because I think, well, I know lots of people that could do an unscripted show and chat and it would be perfectly entertaining and they're not getting this opportunity. And (laughs) and even if you've got Rob Brydon, why would you put him behind effectively a paywall by putting him on Spotify? You know, that doesn't seem very in the spirit of podcasting. And then even when he's got this show, why does he need to talk to really famous people? Why does it need to be him talking to David Padilla? Why can't he talk to me? All of that stuff. Bottom line is, I had a very entertaining 40 minutes listening to it. And I wouldn't have if it wasn't any good. So I just, i I'm generally of the view... Uh, The rising tide, small boats, all that. Mm. The only bit where I'm just a bit cautious is I would say the business of Apple making their own original shows, Audible making their original shows and Spotify making their original shows, fine. But to do so at the exclusion of promoting everybody else, including your rival media brands, but especially independent shows,
0: Mm.
1: that seems unfair when the infrastructure of the podcast chart has still not been usurped people still look to the Apple podcast chart to find out what's popular. And if that's being played, that just seems not in the spirit of, you know, the original bunky days of, of Bedroom podcasts.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, the kind of Apple and those other companies that you mentioned in the world of antitrust is a huge thing in all sorts of areas, and it will become increasingly so in the media. Do you, you mentioned actually right early on in the show, I didn't take up on it at the time, This that you've been at the iTunes festival, yes and supported (laughs) larue that's that's an amazing thought
1: yeah Um, it was was amazing charlotte there i was at the roundhouse
0: it's a pretty big venue here in camden in in here in london and uh, i'm just intrigued by this your relationship actually with apple you mentioned your use of the technology but actually how fundamental you found Apple we, we mentioned the podcast charts in a, as a distribution method when you were starting out and your relationship with the company that way If yeah, I can, is that fair to characterize that you had a relationship with the company at all
1: yes I mean it's funny isn't it because you meet real people and they're no longer the company uh, sure. so we became friends with James Boggs who recently left uh, as I think he was global head of podcast by the time he left but anyway was was you know big, big dick at iTunes you know in the UK when we were <laughs> launching Um, but from America, from Bend, Oregon. Um, So uh, I always saw it as a relationship with James rather than a relationship with this giant corporation, you know, but uh, yes, it is fair to say that we were supported by Apple and that helped massively in getting us out there. For example, you know, in 2009, when we were at the stage where we were a culty hit, but we weren't in that podcast chart, really, um, it was Apple putting us in the promotional banners at the top of iTunes, as was, you know, to make an old school analogy, that would be the equivalent of having your poster in the front of every tower records in the country, right? So, you know, that's a big deal um, that helped us cut through. So, yeah, we did have the support of Apple and they invited us to talk at the Apple store, uh, I think, on the 10th anniversary of podcasting. We hosted an event there. Um, we did do the iTunes Festival. We always got the VIP invitations. We went to go and see Elton John. You're very that very important, Yeah, I mean, you're very um, important people. So they they made us feel like you when it came of to it. independent podcasters in the UK, we were in their top ten, which was lovely. But
0: and um, numbers proved you were. That, well, yeah, episode. but
1: is, exactly. But what point does that become self fulfilling prophecy? You know, if we'd have been doing something that didn't fit with their corporate values, would that have been more problematic? I don't know. But uh, as if you know, I mean, again, long story. I'll try and keep it short. Back in two thousand and eight, the first publicity stunt that we did for Answer Me This to try and launch the show. And try and crack the iTunes charts in the UK was we went to Luxembourg because we'd realised that Luxembourg was the world's smallest country to have its own page on iTunes. Um And the reasons for this, of course, is that Apple is technically registered for tax purposes in Luxembourg, but actually has a staff of about three in a post box in Luxembourg and nothing else. Um, but as a result of that... Our
0: lawyers will be checking that, thank you. That's, that's, <laughs>
1: uh, as a result... I mean, I'm saying three. Okay. I, for comic effect, might be ten. Um, but small staff. Um, and as a result of, of that, you know, tax efficiency, when you went to the bottom of the iTunes store and selected what nation you wanted to listen in back in 2008, the choices were the obvious countries like the United States, Canada, Australia, UK... And Luxembourg, I was just like, okay, so Luxembourg has its own podcast chart. How difficult can it be to crack the podcast chart in Luxembourg? Right. So we went. We we got all our listeners to change their country of um, iTunes on their on their iTunes homepage to Luxembourg and download our show, and then we went to Luxembourg and filmed ourselves and put it all on YouTube. Um, basically flyering the Luxemburgers, giving them free cookies. Amazing. We went on the English-language breakfast radio station in Luxembourg. Uh, and by the end of the day, unsurprisingly, it's not that difficult to do if you really put the effort in, we got to number three in the Luxembourg podcast show. Nice. Um, and then it was the Daily Telegraph writing up that story and Sky News inviting us on to talk about that story that I think made Apple pay attention to what we'd done. And that was when Apple first reached out to us. We'd also put uh, a box of chocolates geez. through the through the sole letterbox of iTunes. Uh, uh, nice. um, and uh, and James from Apple got in touch. and Was like, yeah, would you like to meet for a coffee? Um, uh, so it, it, that's how our relationship with Apple started. Very
0: good. Oh, that's hilarious. Right. Well, we're, I'm very sad. We're coming to the end of the time. I was going to ask you. I was. I wanted to do Ollie Man. Answer me this. What was your favourite question on? answer me this but you've already you. told me
1: i just literally yeah probably the car you, man yeah the that's car a good man. One.
0: you've told me you don't remember so instead <laughs> tell my listeners remind them where they can keep up with you in all sorts of places
1: uh well for posterity i suppose regardless of where my career goes in the future all of my projects are always listed upon ollyman.com o-l-l-y-m-a-n-n.com uh, uh, but right now if you go and search for the retrospectors and press follow i would deeply appreciate that
0: well there'll be a link to that in the show notes Ollie joked that he never did any listener surveys, but we've got one for this show out at the moment. That's in the show notes. So if you're enjoying (laughs) or indeed not enjoying the show, please do let me know. Uh, Please do subscribe as well over in, I was going to say iTunes, but in the Apple podcast app now. Um, And look forward to you joining me next week. Thank you so much, Ollie.
1: Oh, pleasure.